Good morning. Uh, I've I mentioned this in the first gathering. I'm so rusty that I don't even know what I'm doing up here at times. So uh, I forgot the call to worship in our first gathering right at the very beginning. So we tacked that on in this portion. And then uh, this morning in the 11 a.m., I forgot just to kind of line out uh, what we're doing this morning. So uh, I just wanted to, uh, I I want to, um, I want you to give your attention to what it is that we're about today on uh, May 31st, 2020. This is Pentecost Sunday. Um, we have two letters of instruction from the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, he was writing to a young pastor named Timothy on how to order their worship. We also have him, uh, he, he explains to the church at Ephesus also how to order their worship. And this is the instruction that he gave to this young pastor, Timothy. He said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, that's strong encouragement, and also to teaching, to explaining and giving a sense of what the Bible means. And then he went on to say, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders or pastors laid their hands on you. And then in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he also said this, Do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the capital S there. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this morning, that is what we're doing. We're giving our time and attention to reading God's Word out loud together, to singing spiritual songs and hymns this morning, to praying together, to just relishing on the moment that, uh, that it is today that we are back together as one people, all of life church, and, and just aiming, really orienting our hearts to give thanks to God for everything that we find ourselves appreciative of this morning. For from God, for from Him, and to Him, and through Him are all things. So that is what we're doing this morning. If you've got littles with you, if you've got little kids with you this morning, we are glad that you are here, and we are glad that they are here, and we understand the nature of family worship over these next few weeks. They, they, they may have a tendency to, to speak up. They may get pretty wiggly in their seats, and that is perfectly okay with me. You do not have to take on any of my anxiety because I don't have any uh, over them and what they're doing this morning. I do ask that you would parent them actively, but if they're going to be kids and they're just fidgety, that is totally okay. So as much as you're able, just try to tune in to the spoken word, to the scriptures this morning, and, and, and be attentive and present in the moment. Um, we will, uh, if you're wondering, we will uh, bring our, we'll begin with our nursery probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have uh, space for one and two-year-olds to, to gather. Um, and then after that, our toddler's classes. And then after, after that, the rest of our classes as we kind of shore up our kids' ministry and our volunteers again. So if you're just wondering about timeline and what that all looks like, that's what it's going to look like throughout the month of June. Also, put on your calendars, June 21st, we're going to be at Camille. Park here in Post Falls, right on the river. One service at 10 a.m. We're cutting between the two on Father's Day. Uh, we're going to uh, just be outdoors together there on the river and have an outdoor gathering. And it's a covered pavilion, so rain or shine, uh, we will be there on June 21st, Father's Day. 
A few questions. Um, they're going to put some questions up on the screen. I want uh, us, as we orient ourselves to Acts chapter 2, uh, to begin to just prayerfully contemplate before the Lord, asking ourselves several questions too. If you want to take a screenshot of the, of the screen just to help you remember and maybe even refer back to it as I read through Acts chapter 2, feel free, and then I'll bring them back, these questions back at the end too. Uh, I want you, church, if you would, to prayerfully ask this question, what kind of life do you want me to live, Jesus? What, what is he calling you to? This has been a massive time out in our culture. And my hope as a church is that we don't go back to what was, but that we dream forward uh, to a new, uh, a new way of being. Rather than having our schedules and uh, packed to the gills with activity and just running frayed, that we would create some of the margin that has been created over the last three months, that we would fight to protect some of that margin as individuals and as a church family as well. But, but really, primarily, that we would, we would have found and regained gaining our focus on the real Jesus, uh, that we are orienting ourselves first and foremost before anything else, before your vocation or your whatever it might be, your role in the family, that you are a Christian before you're a carpenter. You're a Christian before you're a businesswoman. You're a Christian before you're a stay-at-home parent. You're a follower of Jesus before any of those things, and let our following Jesus and submitting to his rule and authority shape the whole chorus of our lives. That's why we're called All of Life Church, because the gospel is for all of life, and all of life belongs to Jesus Christ. Next, ask yourself, is the way of life that Jesus is inviting me to live, is it the life that I truly want to live? Does it accord? Is there synergy there? And that may beg some questions of you. If not, if your answer is no, then you've got some wrestling to do. And I would please, please just ask you to create space to attend to him in prayer and particularly through his word. Next, ask again in prayer, what's my next step of obedience toward that end? In whichever direction that he is directing you, what is your next step of obedience and following the real and risen Jesus Christ? And then finally, record this. Tell someone. Type it in your phone in a notes app or, or, or on a piece of paper and then tell someone. Create some accountability and opportunity for sharing and walking this out in real life and then pursue faithful obedience from the position of son and daughter, not for the position of son or daughter. The difference is paramount to how we live our lives. We do not do good things so that God will accept us. We do good works as his chosen people because he has placed his acceptance and approval upon us and justified us fully and finally by our faith aimed at the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So those questions, I hope you'll prayerfully just consider them as I uh, talk and that you'll dream and you'll worship. Let's not go back to normal. We're going to get into Acts chapter 2. This is the birth story of the early church, of the church. Uh, it's her origin story. Acts chapter 2. Uh, interact with an app on your phone or your physical Bible if you have that. I hope you do. And if you don't, grab one of the black Bibles around the room. Uh, it's on page 855 if you just need to beeline there quickly. Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is uh, the story of how the church began. You'll notice in italics, there's a little title there, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the fifth word in, the, in verse 1 of chapter 2 is this word Pentecost. 
It is, it means in Greek, Pentecost means 50th day. Uh, This is occurring 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And Pentecost, on the Christian calendar, the coming of the Holy Spirit, birthing and sending the church to proclaim the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it, uh, it accords with the Jewish festival or, or, um, or feast of weeks. So, so when, Jesus was, when Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. That occurred on Passover weekend, on the Jewish holiday of Passover. You'll remember, if you know the story of, uh, of God liberating the Jews from slavery in Egypt, he, uh, on, on the eve of Passover, he asked them to take a lamb without blemish or spot and to slaughter that animal and then to paint the doorposts of their homes with uh, the blood of that spotless lamb. And, the, and, and his spirit, as he, as he passed over in judgment on the Egyptians, would pass over the Israelites and then he would usher them out of Egypt and into the promised land. When Jesus was crucified, dead and resurrected, buried and resurrected, that occurred on Passover weekend. Jesus was and is the spotless lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world and not just free us from slavery by another nation, but slavery from Satan's sin and death and even the rule of the law as a means of our justification. Pentecost, on the Christian calendar, his occurs 50 days after his resurrection in this feast. And so there are all this feast in Jerusalem. So there are all kinds of Jews commanded to pilgrimage to Jerusalem to observe the feast of weeks, seven weeks from Passover. So that's what's happening in the city. That's why there are all kinds of people in the city. So read with me in Acts chapter 2. And I'm just going to do some running commentary. It's not typically how I teach on Sundays, but this is how we're going to do it today. It's good to devote ourselves to the public reading of the scriptures. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, look at Acts chapter 1, verse uh, verse 15. There were about 120 disciples at that time. Look up to verse 14 in Acts chapter 1. All of these 120 disciples with one accord in unity, what were they doing? They were devoting themselves to prayer. They were waiting because Jesus had earlier in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 given them a command to go and to wait until they are clothed with power from on high, until they are given the Spirit. And so they're in, they're, they're together in one place devoting themselves to prayer and they're waiting. They have no idea what this is going to look like, but then Acts chapter 2 verse 1 happens. The day of Pentecost arrives. The city is now full of pilgrims from all over the known world. They were all, these disciples, all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It gets your attention. It grabbed their attention. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, now notice this phrase, as of fire, Divided tongues, when you see a a flame flickering on the top of a candle, it almost has a tongue shape to it. So what Luke, the author of Acts, is doing here is he's saying they were like divided tongues as of fire. He didn't have language to communicate what he was seeing in that moment, and so he was was grasping for something. Well, it's kind of like this. That's what he means. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to these disciples and came to rest on each one of them. And these disciples 
were all filled with the Holy Spirit, God himself, the third member of the Trinity, and something occurred. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The word here for tongues is languages. These are the languages of people in the known world in this instance. There are, Paul will say that the tongues do exist, that, that nobody, uh, that, that, that people don't know. It's some sort of a, a heavenly language. He'll talk about that in 1 Corinthians 14, I believe. Verse 5, these tongues, though, they were languages that, that people had been speaking. They were known languages. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were there for this pilgrimage to observe this feast and this celebration that God had commanded. And at this sound of wind, the multitude, that is, all of these people who are nearby and in proximity in the city, they came together and something occurred. There was a, a, a kind of posture that they took. They were bewildered. Why were they bewildered? Luke tells us, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And not just bewilderment, but amazement and astonishment. So Luke is using these phrases to try to lead us into what's happening in this moment. They were absolutely floored. Something had occurred that they could not explain. And then they ask a question. Here's the first question that Luke records. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how then is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then Luke will give us a list of many of these people and these, uh, the, from these different places in the known world. They're Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes or Greek converts, Gentile converts to Judaism, also Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own languages, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And more amazement, verse 12, they were all amazed and they were perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? This is the right question for them to be asking with an open posture. What do we make of this? What in the world does this event, what does it mean for us? But then, like in every crowd, there were also people who were mocking, and they began to say they're filled with new wine, which is the wrong response, just issuing a judgment on something that they don't know out of their human wisdom or ignorance in this case, they issue a proclamation. Well, they're drunk. But then notice in verse 14 what Luke records. He says, but Peter, standing with the 11, so in solidarity with the, tw the 12 apostles here, are standing up and beginning to, to ask for the attention of these crowds who are now centered around this place where they were. He lifted up his voice. You'll notice in the Gospels that anytime the apostles are named, Peter is always the first apostle who is named. He is like the spokesman for the group. He stands up emboldened, filled with the Spirit of God, 
And his voice is differentiated from the crowd around him. The crowd around him is questioning, rightfully so. We don't have answers. What does this mean? And some are saying, I've got answers. They're drunk. And now a differentiated voice. He stands up filled with the Spirit of God. And he says, I can give you clarity and I can give you meaning on what is happening in this moment. And he says, he addresses the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you so you can feel some of the authority in his voice. This is a Peter unlike any Peter we have ever seen in the Gospels. He's kind of bumbling. He's questioning. He's at one point getting rebuked by Jesus who calls him Satan. Get behind me. You're in my way to, to fulfill the will of God. Peter is just kind of like trying to figure out where he fits. But the Spirit of God fills him on the day of Pentecost here and he stands up and he says, for once I have clarity here. He says, men of Judea, listen to me, all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people, they're not drunk as you suppose. And he says, it's only the third hour of the day. The Jewish day began at 6 a.m. So it's 9 a.m. in the morning, Luke records for us, when this is occurring right here. But, but then Peter goes on and he says, right, the Spirit of God and probably some of his training in, uh, in the faith, in the Jewish faith earlier as he's memorizing the Pentateuch, he here, he's, he, he quotes directly. The Spirit of God just gives him words right out of the prophet Joel written 900 years before Jesus Christ lived. He says, but this is, this what is happening here was uttered through the prophet Joel. He says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit. Notice the capital S there. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, all human flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. He's no respecter of persons here. It's just like, whew, the Spirit of God begins to empower people. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, written a thousand years before Jesus. And then it climaxes with this. And then it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's speaking of Jesus there, who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin. And the gift of the Holy Spirit will experience salvation. This is prayer. Everyone who calls upon Jesus Christ will be saved. And then Peter begins to speak again after he quotes from Joel. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. He has a zip code. This is a specific person in real history. Make no mistake, it's Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God or proven to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that the Father and the Spirit did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So some of you saw his works. It was only two months ago that he was resurrected. He, Jesus appeared after his resurrection to more than 500 people at one time. Not only that, but the three years leading up to his death and resurrection of his ministry, he was doing all kinds of signs and wonders, not just in Israel, but also in Samaria. And so people had seen these firsthand, some of the people who were listening to this sermon. And not only that, but some of them had heard uh, secondhand from people that they know, love, and trust of what Jesus Christ had done. This is like in the moment here. 
You yourselves know this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was delivered to the cross according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. God is sovereign over the events of human history. This is not, not God going, oh, oh, men like fell off the rails in Genesis 3. We've got to do something. This is God's plan from before the foundation of the world to offer up in love his own son for forgiveness of sins and reconciliation between God and men. This is his plan. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, verse 23, you, Jews, crucified and killed. You shouted. Your people, your representatives shouted, crucify him. And how was he delivered up and killed? He was delivered up and killed at the hands of lawless men. What does he mean by that? He means the Romans who didn't have the law. So he's saying here that Jesus was delivered up by you into the hands of the Romans to be crucified and killed, essentially incriminating everyone. God, though, verse 24, raised him up, resurrected him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David then, a thousand years before Jesus in Psalm 16 he had prophecy around Jesus too, and Peter quotes it in the very first Christian sermon, which we're reading right here. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken, David writes. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or to the grave, to hell, or let your Holy One see corruption, meaning Jesus' body in the grave would not see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, Peter speaking again in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to, the, to this day. So much with them to this day that they were in the city of David. David was buried in Jerusalem. His tomb was in Jerusalem. And so they know this. Peter says, being therefore a prophet, David was a prophet, and also a king, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. It's a prophecy from Psalm 132, 11. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption or decay. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We have seen it. We have lived with him for 40 days after his resurrection. We have seen things that no human mind ever imagined would come to pass. And it's that that is so emboldened, along with the, the filling of the Holy Spirit here, that is so emboldened, Peter, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, he says about Jesus, and having received the, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So you see the Trinity embedded in that, don't you? You see Jesus, you see the Father, and the Holy Spirit in verse 33. He has poured out this you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You want your explanation? They're not drunk. The Spirit of God has been poured out to fill people, to empower us, to equip us for ministry. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's a quote from Psalm 110. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. 
What does he mean by Lord in Christ? He means Lord in that he is authoritative. He's, a, he's master. He has made Jesus master. He's made him Lord and also Christ. Christ means Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. It's his title. He is the Messiah. So he is the Savior. So he is both authoritative. Jesus himself would say this as he commissioned the apostles. All authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. He is authoritative, and he is the lamb who comes to take away, to absorb, to cover over sin. It's this Jesus whom you crucified, who is both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. Now, as this crowd is listening in to this spirit-empowered, spirit-filled sermon from the apostle Peter, when they hear this, they respond well. They are they are cut to the heart. It means that they are internally moved. There's something going on inside of them. As, this, as the Spirit of God, the Father, the Son are drawing them to himself, they, uh, they, they have a question of response. What should we do? Repentance is responsive. It's not defensive. Any time that we find our conduct or we find our way of life or we, we, we find that we are in the wrong, the process of, of repentance is one that should be uh, responsive rather than defensive. What I mean by that is that, that we should seek to be taught and instructed. We should, we should seek to be directed by God himself rather than just continuing on as the masters of our own lives. Oh, well, here's what I need to do about that. Repentance is responsive. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. To repent means to change your way of life, to change your direction. It's like an about face. Repent and then immediately be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift. You will receive the grace of the God who created all things. He himself will fill you. He will dwell within you. He will be upon you. He will instruct you. He will lead you to remember Jesus. He will convict you of sin and righteousness. You'll receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says this in verse 39, for the promise is for you, but it's also for more than just them. It's for their children. It's for your children and for all who are far off. It's for Gentiles. It's for slaves. It's for lepers. It's for the impoverished. It's for the downcast in society. God is no respecter of persons. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself will receive this gift. The gospel, what it does is it breaks and it rebuilds generational patterns. It changes legacies of individuals. It changes the good news of Jesus Christ when it comes to dwell in our hearts when we are saved and justified by God and faith in, in Jesus Christ. Our patterns begin to shift and change. I know this for a fact because my grandmother and my grandfather came to know Jesus Christ in the 1970s through my aunt who introduced them to him and then my dad came to know him and they were off their rails before that, just pioneers in central Idaho, just, uh, just gnarly folk. Let's put it that way. And he absolutely, in their mid-50s, just 
changed their direction in life, which has now changed my direction in life. And by God's grace, it will change my children's direction in life too. He broke and he reformed generational patterns. Verse 40, and with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them. So he just kept on going, unlike I'm going to do here today. He continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Meaning you've got to do something. Your faith is not passive. Your faith is very, very, very active. As you keep your focus on the real Jesus and you live according to his teaching and you kind of fumble and fail forward, we're not living for acceptance, we're living from acceptance. That's a massive qualifier in gospel Christianity. We don't do good works so that God will love us. We do good because his saving love has already been set upon us and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So those who received Peter's words were baptized. And that day, there were added to the 120, 3,000 souls. 3,000 people. Just this church massively expanding by almost 30 times. Probably something like 25 times or 26 times. Just got chaotic and big and beautiful and bold as these people now are filled with the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel coming to rest at home with them. And then, and then Luke describes for us in Acts 42, 2, 42 through 47, what um, he, he describes for us their life together as a new community, just trying to figure these things out. This is what the, the Holy Spirit began to spontaneously do in his people then and what he continues to spontaneously do in his people now. So it is a description, but there are also principles in here that we can learn from and that we can follow. And they devoted themselves. Devoted. What did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? The apostles' teaching was the teaching of Jesus Christ. He, as he gave the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so what the apostles began to do is they began to teach what Jesus taught them. And they made disciples in the same way that Jesus made them disciples. These, this community of believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the community, this new community centered around Jesus Christ. And to the breaking of bread, this means shared meals, and it also means the partaking of communion. And also, they devoted themselves to prayer. And awe, as a result, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, they were together, they were unified, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions radically generous here, selling their possessions and their belongings, and they began distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then it, it, it tells us about their continued way of life here, day by day, attending the temple together, the temple courts, probably the only place in, uh, in Jerusalem where this, this early church was, now 3,120 people, probably the only place that could house them was the, the court of the Gentiles and the, the temple day by day, attending the temple together, but also breaking bread in their homes, going from house to house, sharing fellowship and community. They received their food, understanding it had been given by them from God with glad and generous hearts. That's how they received it. A posture of praise. Verse 47 tells us as much. Praising God, it's a posture of worship. It's a posture of gratitude and thankfulness. 
and they continued to have favor with all the people. And what happened to the church? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So Peter is preaching the good news here, and God is the one who is calling and adding to the church. We, as his people, as Jesus' people, we, we disciple, and God is the one who strengthens us. So we follow him obediently, staying attentive to the apostles' teaching, devoting ourselves to one another, to worship, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer as a community. So ask this question. If you haven't asked it, and if you don't have direction now, maybe it will come to you later today. Carve out space. What kind of life do you want me to live, Jesus? How are you reordering my life? Ask yourself, is the, way of Jesus, is the way of life that Jesus invites me to live, is that the life that I truly want? If there's discord there, you have work to do. Prayerfully. Next, ask again in prayer, what's my next step of obedience toward that end? So let's not just be big Bible heads, big Bible heads this morning. Come in, get some knowledge, roll out, it's gone. Let's commit now, the person in your, che- in your seat, where you are, commit now to obedience. What's my next step? We're not talking a month down the road, just next step. What's my next step of obedience? And then finally, whatever it is that you sense that the Spirit is, is saying to you, record it somehow, tell someone, and pursue faithful obedience. Please, let's be a church who keeps our eyes focused on the real Jesus, his body of teaching. Let's pursue loving one another. Let's pursue radical generosity, joyful generosity, is what the language on this this, uh, banner says. We're a people of radical generosity. And may, by God's grace, he add to our number day by day those who are being saved, that we could meaningfully live as disciples, disciple one another, disciple them, and send, send, send until Jesus Christ comes back. Pray with me. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you dwell in us. Teach us what it means to be filled by you and to live and to keep, in Paul's words in Galatians, to keep in step with you to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for calling us to trust you day by day, over and over and over again, just to continue to renew our trust in you, not so that you will love us, but because you do. Just continue to lean on you and to depend. Strengthen your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.